I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. So, big tech monopoly for discussion on today's show is going to be Apple and the App Store mania, which has been going on. There's a myriad of updates, just like every few days, there's a new App Store update. So, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But, first topic is around Reddit. Reddit has had a crazy year, to, to put it lightly. Uh, they were valued at $6 billion in February of 2021. They raised uh, a little under $400 million. In August, six months later, they raised another $400 million at a $10 billion valuation. And now it is rumored that Reddit is looking to engage banks to start the pre-IPO planning process at a rumored $15 billion valuation. So call it two and a half X, you know, let's say they go public Q1, maybe Q2 of next year, right? In a year, you've got a two and a half X on the value of the company. In the year of 2019, they generated about $100 million in revenue. And what they've said is that in the second quarter of uh, 2021, they did $100 million in revenue, right? So it grew 192% year over year. And so they're having a lot of ad revenue growth, which is good, but it's coming at a cost. And you know, the interesting thing about Reddit, it's somewhat similar to Discord. We've talked about Discord. We actually, I think, just talking about Discord on, on uh, maybe two episodes ago, which turned down an acquisition offer from Microsoft and Discord's. Discord is blowing up. Discord and Reddit are both wrestling with how to manage these very kind of like decentralized communities. And the, the real gotcha on Reddit is that they don't even control their own destiny. Reddit's CEO here, Steve Huffman, is honestly in a little bit of a pickle, despite insane revenue and valuation growth and all this kind of stuff. And here is why. While all of this has been going on, Reddit bans COVID misinformation form after go dark protest. So you say, go dark protest? What does that mean? The online discussion site acted after 135 Reddit communities or subreddits announced they had gone dark, a move that blocks non-members from reading or joining the page in protest at the site's refusal to limit discussions that propagate misleading theories about the pandemic. Okay, what does that mean? Each of these subreddits, right? When you go to Reddit, there's all, it's like a, it's like a forum, right? Um, but in 2021, but I mean, it's basically like a forum site. So each one of these forums are self-regulated and self-monitored. You know, you have admins, super admins, admins, mods, moderators. These people don't get paid money. These are volunteers. And it's their job to kick out bad actors from the subreddit um, uh, you know, if people are, are trolling or having abusive behavior in the subreddit, right? You can, you can ban users from that specific community, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a decentralized kind of communication, <clears throat> social network, con content platform type of model, more of a maker platform than an exchange platform on an individual kind of subreddit by subreddit basis. So what happened is all these admins who control, you know, some of the biggest subreddits on Reddit said, hey, Reddit, if you don't take action against this community, we are going to 
go dark. What that means is they make their uh, subreddit go private, which means, you know, unless you are an, a pre-existing subscriber to that Reddit, you can't get access. You can't join it um, and you can't view all the content, right? So what Reddit needs to do is sell ads. So if Reddit wants to keep having 192% year-over-year ad revenue growth, they really don't need these 135 of their most popular subreddits to go dark. Not a good way to sell ads when no one can get access to the content on your website. Kind of a problem. Reddit's stance initially was that they were not going to take action against this uh, subreddit that was being targeted. This is all COVID-related stuff, right? So um, it gets very sensitive uh, and divisive, these, these, uh, these topics, right? So Reddit said, hey, we're not going to do anything, right? Then these mods, these admins, they all know each other. And they, they coordinated basically a walkout on Reddit saying we're going to basically disable, basically going to paralyze your now 10, possibly $15 billion business by going dark, unless you do what we say. That's a big problem. If I'm an investor about to write a nine-figure check into this company that says, well, you know, what about your, your stance on, you know, what, what is inappropriate content censorship? How do you walk this line? And then if the CEO says, well, here's our opinion, like they stated on this subreddit that is now banned when they said that they weren't going to do anything initially. How do you actually trust what the CEO says? How does the CEO actually have power in this arena or possibly elsewhere, right? Where else could this go? Because now what you've done, it's like a union, right? You've actually just emboldened and validated the power of these admins that control these 135 different properties. That's a big problem. Big problem for Reddit, Steve, and any potential investors that are looking at doing the diligence on this, right? Hey, how much of those 135 communities that went dark, if they're dark, what does that do to your ad revenue sales? What does that do to this crazy growth you're projecting? And so it didn't actually stop there. Reddit actually not only banned this one subreddit in question, they quarantined 54 other subreddits, right? So they're actually kind of now going even further to make sure that these 135 communities, which are some of the biggest communities on Reddit, you know, um, are happy. And, and I, I don't think there's ever been a case on Reddit where once they start to quarantine you, you don't inevitably get kicked off, right? So this is kind of the, the warning signal that you are, you are about to be exited off of the platform. This content censorship thing is a, is a big issue. And uh, this has been going on. We've covered this on the show for years. This has been going on for years. This is a pre-COVID thing. This is a, a pre-political, pre-partisan thing. Uh, this has happened to the crypto community. We've had people on from YouTube who have had their show, hundreds of thousands of, of subscribers, thousands of videos, just poof, ban, uh, banned, kicked off of YouTube, no warning. Um, because you're talking about topics which fall outside of the party lines, the party lines being that of big tech and, and, and their censorship monitors and moderators. In these decentralized types of models, you're actually seeing it Somewhat in the reverse, which is on Reddit, you're seeing these, these volunteers not paid by the platform company actually having such huge power over the, the actual overall platform business. It's, it's kind of crazy. And I think a big problem for Reddit and any potential investors looking at this business. Okay.
Next topic. I've talked about our top 50 B2B marketplace ranking in the United States. Go check that thing out. One of the top 10 companies on that ranking. Love this company. This company is like, I mean, it's not Google, Google's type potential, trillion dollar company, but it's big. The way this company acts, they're so under the radar that they remind me of Google pre-IPO, right? Where Google was so on fire, their growth was so insane, their revenue, their margins, right, were so bonkers that they didn't want anyone to know, right? They were trying to push off going public as long as they could, right? Because then they had to disclose how profitable their business model was. But I think they were actually triggered by, you know, having over 500 shareholders, which forced them to start that process. Otherwise, they wanted to still keep going under the radar, right? Then Microsoft woke up and said, whoa, what is going on here? We got to get into this. How do we just let this this no-name company come out of nowhere and now become a multi-multi-billion dollar threat to us, Microsoft, right? That's Vetcove. This company, Vetcove, is phenomenal. They've only raised a few million dollars. You say, oh, they've only raised a few million dollars. Yeah, they've only raised a few million dollars. They're doing hundreds of millions of dollars in GMV. From what I know, they're profitable. That's why they don't need to raise money. They're doing hundreds of millions of dollars in GMV. They have insane growth, profitable. Ooh, yeah. But they're in the veterinarian supply distribution space. Ooh, well, that's not that sexy, Alex. Uh Uh-uh, completely wrong. There's a reason why this company is in our top 10. And why, why they're under the radar, it's because they're doing so well, they don't even want you to know. And I have so many different examples of this from just different areas uh, of interaction that we have you know, with them, with, with the work that we do. You can't give them your money. They don't need the money. Okay. Now, what's the latest example about how just on fire this company is? They just got sued by Chewy. Chewy. Yeah, not a, not a small company. Just a $32 billion market cap company selling a bunch of what? Pet food and pet supplies to consumers. Why would Chewy feel so threatened by small no-name Vetcove that's raised a few million dollars to actually label them in a lawsuit? Oh, that's right. That's because this company is on fire. Chewy has sued Covetris, which is a multi-billion dollar business, which was spun out of Henry Schein. Henry Schein's a massive dental supply company. They do medical supply distribution. And then they had their veterinarian business, which they spun out, created a company called Covetris, which, you know, out of nowhere is now a multi-billion dollar company because it was a part of Henry Schein. So now Covetris, yeah, that makes sense. Chewy, Covetris, both multi-billion dollar companies. But then Vekov? Like what? Oh, that's right, because Vekov is so dominant and no one knows about it. Here's the issue. Laws in most states require veterinarians to provide to pet owners a prescription or, or authorization to purchase animal medications and other regulated pet products to protect the customer's right to choose their pharmacy, right? If a Chewy customer does not have a prescription or authorization on file when ordering, Chewy contacts the customer's veterinarian to get it. Chewy alleges that at this point in the transaction, Vekov, a practice software vendor, and Covetris conspired to convince pet owners through deceptive communications to buy the medication 
from the veterinary clinic's online pharmacy instead of Chewy. Aha. There it is. Now. So, uh, for example, you want to buy um, like heartworm medicine, um, you know, the, the flea and tick medicine, right, for your dog. You, you got to get that from a vet. You can't just go buy that from a pet store. What Vetcove is doing, so geniusly, look at this, purchasing for your vet hospital, shop every supplier at once, right? So they're giving software to these vets, to the vet hospitals, right? They're giving software to help these companies better manage their procurement. But it's free. Look, they got a button here. Why free? Vetcove is completely free and always will be. We'll never charge any veterinarian hospital or nonprofit for access to our purchasing uh, to our purchasing platform. That's our promise to the veterinary community. Corporations pay so that clinics don't have to. They literally go to the manufacturers, right? Or some distributors, and they get paid by the, the suppliers, they get paid to disintermediate the distributors in the industry. Our paid services to veterinary vendors include um, e-commerce integrations, payment processing, loyalty program logistics, cashback, and CRM tools. These companies pay Vetcove to use our tools when you buy their products on Vetcove, when you participate in their programs. Really interesting stuff here. So let me go one level deeper. Here's Alex, uh, their CEO. How does Vetcove earn revenue? Vetcove provides rich pr content, product listings, payment processing, and order management capabilities to manufacturers that are not using distributors to sell their products. While you shop Vetcove's catalog, you'll see listings marked as seller direct, right? These are manufacturers whose products you can buy through Vetcove straight from the source. These manufacturers pay Vetcove when you buy their products, right? So the manufacturers will say, hey, I'm going to sell directly through Vetcove and I'll pay you a fee, Vetcove, right? But the fee I'm paying to Vetcove is going to be less than what the manufacturer would have been paying to a distributor to sell the manufacturer's product. Make sense? The manufacturer is still net net ahead. Yes, they're paying a fee to Vetcove, but that fee is less than the, what they would have been paying to sell these products through traditional uh, distribution channels like through B2B distributors, right? So... They are disintermediating the traditional supply chain distribution channel. And they're still down there paying a fee to Vetcove. And all of this, this whole flywheel that Vetcove has going, which is not, not everything you buy, right? Not all the products are seller direct, right? But they are, giving, they are now giving a channel for these, let's say, smaller manufacturers that can do direct to just pay Vetcove a fee, right? Versus if you're buying from Covetris on Vetcove, I doubt Vetcove is really making much of a fee, if any, because Covetris has, you know, they got to have their margin, they're selling stuff, right? So it's the seller direct channel, which you say, oh, so that's how these guys are making money. And yes, I didn't go do anything inappropriate. It's all on their site. You just got to go read the site. How is Vetcove able to stay free for veterinary clinics? We get this question a lot. Vetcove really is completely free to all U.S. veterinary organizations with no hidden costs or obligations whatsoever. We take pride in the fact that we can offer Vetcove to thousands of independently owned veterinary practices and nonprofits at no cost. We were founded by a veterinary family to help practices navigate the abundance of animal health vendors and keep inventory costs under control. So how does Vetcove fund its operations and keep it free? 
Vetcove does charge corporate-owned hospital groups, so larger hospital groups, that opt into a separate platform, a monthly fee for a version of Vetcove that includes supplemental features to allow for central management and corporate guidance. So there are large veterinary hospital groups, so they need more sophisticated kind of enterprise-level software, so they do pay SaaS fees. We also enable manufacturers to sell items and process payments directly on Vetcove and charge them a fee for that service. That's the seller direct I was just talking about. Lastly, Vetcove offers some very unobtrusive promotions and advertising services on behalf of manufacturers. There we go. All of these organizations pay for Vetcove so that practices don't have to. They're giving the software away for free. This is like OpenTable, right? You give a SaaS tool away for free, right? Uh, OpenTable giving table management software to restaurants way, 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 way many years ago in San Francisco to help them manage, right? Where they're seating people. And then OpenTable opens up a marketplace where they can have diners book uh, tables at the restaurant. And on, the, on that channel, they take a fee. This is similar, just kind of in the other direction. Vetcove is giving software away for free to the independent players, which there are a myriad of these small independent uh, vet clinics. And then on a segment of the channel, Seller Direct, they're taking their fee and then they're doing some advertising and SaaS fees. But this Seller Direct channel to me is, is, is the, where there's a lot of meat on the bone, right? Because now you truly are disintermediating um, the existing supply chain channels in the industry. Hard to overstate how much I love this business um, and how on fire they are. And one day, everyone else will realize how on fire they are. And we'll go back and watch this video and say, yeah, Alex, you had it right. Love this company. And that is really the company, by the way, that Chewy's pissed at. It's Vetcove software that's saying, hey, you don't need to buy this um, from Chewy, you can buy this over here. They are the one in the clinic diverting these, these demand sources, right? They are the, really the one at the crux of this. And then Chewy is saying that Covetris and, and you know, Vetcove work together. on It's really Vetcove that's causing all this, which is phenomenal. Okay. Twitch, Amazon's live streaming platform, right? Big in video games a year or two ago, whatever. Ninja and a couple of their top creators were wooed by Microsoft's Mixer to go over to um, Microsoft's competitive product. We call this, you know, a marquee strategy. You take a marquee consumer or producer, in this case, a producer, content creator, bring them over to your platform. And then that producer brings all their consumers, all that demand to your platform. It ultimately failed for Microsoft. Ninja came back, had to do the walk of shame, but he made millions of dollars. Uh, but he made he still had to do walk of shame, hurts the ego, um, and go back to Twitch. Now, Tim the Tap Man and Dr. Lupo. So like Ninja and these guys would all play Fortnite together, but it was Ninja was the, you know, the shining star. And then these guys were also part of the game. They have continued to gain traction. I don't know where they rank today, who's more popular, Ninja, Dr. Lupo, Tim the Tap Man. But they now have been wooed to go join YouTube gaming. <laughs> uh so now they're doing the same thing. Tim the Tatman has 7 million followers on Twitch. And Dr. Lupo has 4.5. A little bit of a softer landing for these guys, though, because 
Tim the Tatman has a little under 4 million subscribers already on YouTube and Lupo already has a little under 2 million subscribers already on YouTube. So that actually might be better. Mixer was much more of a kind of a dead start for them. They didn't have much of an existing audience. Mixer was probably much earlier in the cycle than YouTube gaming is. But it's the same kind of strategy now just being deployed on YouTube. The main difference being I think YouTube is starting with a much stronger base of consumers and demand and audience than Mixer was. Um, and now, because these guys already have millions of subscribers, uh, now they are just really ramping up the live streaming component of this. Nice thing on YouTube is that you could build audience from, from these guys just publishing clips, right? Maybe not live streaming, but publishing just, you know, clips after the fact of their gaming escapades on YouTube. That was probably the big driver of some of these existing subscribers as opposed to people saying, I'm going to, I'm going to watch them live stream. No, but they could take the existing content format that YouTube is known for clips um, after the fact, and now are trying to blow out live streaming and then lock down these guys and, uh, and use that existing audience. So interesting move. This one probably, I think has a much higher chance of success than uh, what Microsoft did. Okay. Apple app store. I get a bajillion emails about, oh, look at what Apple's doing, App Store, this, you know, this, that. Oh, man. Um, literally in the past 10 days, there have been so many different things going on with Apple's App Store. It's kind of hard to keep up with. Um, so I'm going to trim it down and help make sense of it very simply. There's basically been two things. There is the settlement that Apple did in the United States, which got a lot of press. And that coverage came out. Apple to let app developers alert users to alternate payment methods um, and like have a few hundred million dollar settlement. No big deal. And then, oh, look, 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 look at this. So much, so much kind of coverage of this. Honestly, it wasn't that anything too material. I could talk about it, but yeah, you can use alternate uh, payment methods. Whoop-de-doo. Um, Apple still has a lot of their you know, um, their stranglehold on developers, their ability to charge additional fees um, and all these kinds of things. So uh, the big gotcha was actually what just happened in Japan. That is what is worth talking about. And in Japan, the Japan Fair Trade Commission just issued this summary kind of judgment of their investigation into Apple's App Store Basically saying, hey, Apple, it's unfair for you to vertically integrate and compete against third-party developers when you restrict them from doing the same things that you do, A, and B, charging them 30% commission, right? So if you're going to vertically integrate, you got to level the playing field, Okay. Case in point, we've talked about for years is Spotify versus Apple Music. Spotify has to pay an additional 30% cut uh, to Apple versus Apple Music doesn't have to worry about paying 30% to itself, right? Kind of a big, big differentiator, 30%. Um, that's where all these platforms ultimately get into trouble is when you vertically integrate, you need to, you need to express an abundance of caution to have a level playing field of how you are competing with that product, right? Because it's now a product. You are the platform. 
and you are launching a competitive product, right? You're launching Apple Music, which is a competitive product against Spotify. And the list goes on about how Apple has been vertically integrating. So if you're going to vertically integrate as a platform monopoly, you got to have a level playing field um, for those products. So yeah, you should not impede Spotify and a myriad of other players. This thing from Japan talks about music, eBooks, videos, paid additional functions of apps, subscription services, et cetera. So that's really the, the big thing here, which would force Apple to allow these different apps to link. Japanese agreement this week allows developers of reader apps those apps that let people access previously purchased content or, or subscriptions to put a link inside their apps to outside websites where users can pay for their content, right? It's not as seamless of a, of a transaction flow, but you can circumvent the 30% fee and you can navigate outside the app. So now Kindle could put a link in its app to bring you to its website for account management. You were not able to do that. And that's really the, the big gotcha with all of this. Is Apple the worst transgressor of, you know, unfair tech monopoly vertical integration? No, it's easily Amazon. So this is nice. It's kind of odd why Apple's been the one that, that has gotten the farthest along. It's easily Amazon and then Google. Google, not in the Google Play Store, but Google Search. So yeah, these things are nice to focus on, but... You know, it's not the jugular. This isn't the jugular. The, uh, you know, I, I think we're the we're the we're the greatest impact of unfair tech monopoly competition exists. It's nice. It's a good start. I'm completely supportive of it. It's just interesting why everyone's lasered in so well on Apple and Apple's App Store, but not Amazon and what they're doing in their uh, marketplace or Google and what Google's been doing on Google Search. Um, Whereas both of those businesses have been around for way longer than the App Store. So a little peculiar there, but um, hey, a win in the fight against big tech uh, and to level that playing field. Absolutely a way, a way to help pierce that veil um, and bring some more parity uh, with third-party app developers. Last topic is Zoom is down. You know, we've talked about how why Zoom is not a platform company, why Zoom is not in plat. And again, just like everyone thought Netflix was a platform, Zoom is not a platform. Netflix is not a platform. And uh, here is Zoom stock. Boom. Um, down 20% in the past month. But you look at Zoom's earnings, which they just came out with. Look at all the green. Wow, that looks great. Why is Zoom stock down? Because Zoom's growth is stalling. And that's really what these, you know, these companies trade on. That's what these investors look at so intently is can they keep up the growth? And uh, Zoom cannot. Fourth quarter revenue growth will be around 31% for Zoom. Where the full year's revenue will be about 51%. Ultimately, Zoom is, a, is facing a lot of what? Competition from Google, Microsoft, and Teams, and a myriad of other of video streaming competitors, where this is really just a having a good seamless video streaming piece of technology. It's a great linear product, but Zoom has not been able to capitalize on a network effect to really have some kind of two-sided supply demand dynamic that gives them a walled garden 
against these large tech monopolies that can go and into building a really good video uh, conference tool. And that really is the big reason why uh, I think you're seeing this Zoom temper expectations on their growth projections is really because this ever increasing field of competitors as opposed to, yeah, the market for video streaming, you know, is saturated by no means. Why can they not keep out the competitors? Because they don't have the platform defensibility, uh, which the tech monopolies enjoy. We've seen that play out with Netflix, where, where Netflix is still a strong company, but Netflix cannot keep up the level of growth that is expected by these ultra high growth tech oriented investors that look at platform growth just sustain itself almost just forever. And that expectation now transfers over to these linear tech companies and they're just not able to deliver on it, right? So you see it in the beginning, maybe, you know, first few years like Netflix, um, but then eventually it's, it's going to become difficult for them to sustain that because the competition catches up because you don't have the defensibility that these platforms have when you have what? A winner-take-all dynamic. So that's it for us today. Thank you so much for joining. I'll talk to you soon.